0: Hello, and welcome to the Christ Walk Church Podcast. Good morning, everybody. How's everybody doing today? So good to see you guys. Man, what a great, great day um, to be in the house of the Lord. I am just so excited about this morning, so excited about getting to continue this series and lots of great things happening. God is doing something here at Christ Walk and in the city of Fernandina and in Nassau County. And I'm excited that we get to be just a small part of it. Amen. Amen. All right, if you got your Bibles, you've got um, a smart device. Uh, I want to encourage you to turn with me or swipe with me to um, the Book of Ephesians. It's in the New Testament, which is in the, the second big section of the Bible. We've got the Old Testament, a big big chunk of scriptures. And then in the second part, we have the New Testament, and there is um, a letter that Paul wrote. Um, to the church in Ephesus, and so it's called Ephesians because it was written to the Ephesians. And we're going to land there in just a moment. Now, when I was in high school, professional wrestling was probably as big as it's ever been. This was, um, some of you may remember, this was during the time of the major feud between then what was known as the World Wrestling Federation and World Championship Wrestling, or WWF and WCW. And every Monday night there was a TV ratings war because the WWF would air their program Monday Night Raw and WCW would air their program Monday Nitro. And I can remember that at that time, I was probably around 15 years old or so, that I, along with some of my friends, we got sucked into the madness that was the world of professional wrestling. And I realized that as I make this statement and this this confession that there's a handful of people in this room this morning that just lost a great deal of respect for me. But there's also a handful of people in this room that just gained a great deal of respect for me. And then there's a third handful of people in this room that have no clue at all what I'm talking about. And I just want to say, just hold on and trust me because I promise this is going to go somewhere. Now... Admittedly, during my time in, uh, as I was in enthralled with the wrestling craze, I leaned more towards WCW than I did WWF. I was all aboard the New World Order train with Hollywood, Hulk Hogan, and Scott Hall, and Kevin Nash, and the Wolfpack. And I mean, I was in like Flynn, whatever that means. Like, I mean, and I can remember we would have guys over at my house on Monday nights, and we would throw parties and order pizza, and we would scream our heads off, and we would would watch wrestling until late in the evening, and it was a great time. But probably my favorite wrestler at that time was a guy who his his stage name was Sting. Anybody remember Sting? Now, in the 80s or, or uh, you know, like early on, like Sting, he came out in like like neon britches and stuff and, and everything. And it was kind of weird. But then during this time, it's when he had transitioned into his dark phase. And so he had his like the white and black, you know, face paint. And it looked like tears were coming out of his eyes and streaming down his face. And he wore, a, he wore a, 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 a black singlet with a big white scorpion across the front of it. And he would always like he had a black trench coat and he carried around a black baseball bat and he. It was just so ominous and mysterious, and it was so cool. I remember Sting as the man. I just wanted to be like him. And and it was during that time that everybody, and and it's even the case today, like everybody had like their famous wrestling move, you know, like Stone Cold Steve Austin, he had the Stone Cold Stunner. And Diamond Dallas Page, he had the um, the Diamond Cutter. And then we had uh, Scott Steiner, Big Papa Pump, he had the the Steiner Recliner, right? And and Goldberg had the Spear, and it was just on and on and on. But one of my favorite things about Sting was he had this move, and it was called the Scorpion Deathlock. All right, now the scorpion deathlock, for those of you that may not be familiar with professional wrestling terminologies, and if you're not, what are you doing with your life? (laughs) But the scorpion death lock would take place whenever your your uh, your opponent would be on the ropes. They'd be just about ready to give up. They're tired and they're 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 drowsy and everything. And and you would get them in a position to where you would actually grab their legs and you would bring their legs up like this, and then you would step through their legs with one of your legs, and you would uh, cross them in like a figure four, and then you would. Twist over and simultaneously, like put them on their chest and their neck, and then you would lean back like this. And so it put all kinds of pressure. And this is called a submission hold. And so, what would happen is, is because of the pressure, because of the torture that was being applied on the body of the victim, that that had had um, under uh, undertaken the scorpion deathlock on them, they would it would cause them to tap out, or they would they would submit, they would they would tap the mat three times, and the referee would they would sound the bell, and the referee would call the match over because they would say, "Get me out of here! I just can't take this." Any longer. And it was the coolest move ever. And later, Bret Hart tried to steal it and called the sharpshooter. And what an idiot. We know who it's all about. It's all about the stinger and the scorpion deathlock, right? Some of you guys are learning way too much about me this morning. And you're super uncomfortable right now. Now, Sarah and I, over the course of our marriage, we've been married nearly 15 years. And over the course of our marriage, we've had, um, we've had the opportunity to work with and, and to minister to a lot of other married couples. And, and one thing that I've discovered in my time being married and in, in uh, working with and observing the different marriage relationships around me is that we have a tendency and a temptation to enter into our married relationships much like a professional wrestler, we have this mindset and, and we try to, to get our spouse, our significant other, we try to leverage control over them so that we can get them to submit to the things that we want, the things that please us, the things that make us happy. And our goal, and in often in, in relationships that I see, and, and there's even the temptation in, in my relationship with Sarah, is to simply figure out any way possible that I can to leverage control over my spouse so that I get my way, right? Some of you have experienced this maybe in your own marriage or in marriages that you've seen around you. And, and this isn't just in marriages outside of the church. I'm talking about marriages where both spouses claim to be believers in and followers of Jesus that this is taking place. And, and what's worse is I've even known some churches and some religious leaders that have perpetuated and taught that this kind of behavior is somehow even biblical. And so it's, it's one thing to have to deal with an improper view of marriage and the marriage relationship from the world standpoint, but it's a whole other thing when we have to deal with people who have been led astray by those claiming to be followers of Jesus Christ. And all of these issues, they, they seemingly flow from one tiny little word. But even though it's a tiny little word, it makes a huge difference in our marriages depending on how we define it and how we implement it in our relationships. And that word is Submit submit. Today we are in part two of a series that we are calling Some Assembly Required, in which we're looking at what the Bible communicates about the building blocks of marriage. And I just happen to believe that if we can figure out what these building blocks are, and we can put them in the proper order and get them in the proper place within our married relationships, that we can have the kind of marriage that we've always dreamed about. And let's be honest, nobody walks down the aisle getting ready to be married and looks at the person that they're getting ready to, to marry and, and thinks, you know, I hope this ends in a terrible divorce in less than seven years. Like, that's not what we're thinking. We're walking down the aisle and we're, we're hoping and we're dreaming of a, a lifelong, fulfilling relationship with this person that we're about to marry. So what if that kind of relationship was within reach? What if there was an instruction manual that showed us how we could build the marriage of our dreams. I believe there is, and I believe that it's called the Bible. And last week, we took a look at the opening of Ephesians chapter 5, where Paul writes to the believers in Ephesus about the importance of living a life in the light of Jesus Christ. And during our time together last Sunday, we talked about the fact that if God isn't first in our life, then he cannot be first in our marriage. That's founded on the simple truth that a healthy we can exist without a healthy me. And so my relationship with God has to be where it needs to be so that my relationship with my spouse can be where it needs to be. And it all boils down to one thing, and that's having Jesus At the center of that relationship. Now, for our time today, I want us to look at the second part of Ephesians chapter five, where Paul highlights the specific roles of both husband and wife in the marriage relationship. And it's way more than just figuring out who's gonna pay the bills and balance the checkbook and do the laundry and who's responsible for cooking dinner and all of that stuff. Like, these roles are so much bigger than any of those things. But before we jump into our passage for today, it's important to note that Paul is writing to believers in Jesus, all right? They are Christ followers. And, and I realize that some of you here today, or maybe some of you watching along with us online this morning, you might not fall into that category. But first of all, I just want you to, to know that we're glad that you're here. We're thrilled that you would come and be a part of us, or, or that you would um, log on and watch along with us this morning. Christ Walk is a place that you don't have to believe to belong, and so we're just glad that you would join in with us today. But beyond that, you do need to know that for our talk for today, we are going to be looking at marriage through the lens of what the Bible says, what the Bible communicates. And while I suppose that it may be possible to to live out some sort of facsimile of a healthy marriage relationship outside of the realm of the Bible, outside of uh, of the realm of Jesus Christ, um, I, I do believe that that would be taking on a pretty significant gamble one of which the odds would be greatly stacked against you. And if you were somehow able to circumvent the massive difficulty that would be created in in starting out in a marriage or or pursuing a marriage that would be apart from Jesus Christ and apart from the principles of God's word or, or quite frankly any relationship for that matter, to step into a relationship where Jesus is not the center, I believe that that you'll end up at the end of the day that that relationship you will find that it's severely lacking. So I wanna encourage you, even if you don't believe in Jesus today, even if you're unsure about this whole Bible thing, I encourage you to lean in, put some of these principles into practice in your own life and, and see what just might happen if you do so because what do you have to lose, right? Right? So let's try to put some of this stuff into play and see how God might use it because I believe that the only way that we can have the best possible marriage is for it to be centered upon Jesus and founded upon the principles of his word, all right? So now that you know where I stand on things and where this church stands on things, let's jump in. Ephesians 5, starting with verse 21. Is it gonna be there for me? It's not going to be there. All right. Ephesians 5, starting with verse 21. Reading out of the New Living Translation, it says, And further, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. And further, submit to one another out of reverence to Christ. See, In this passage that we're about to take a look at in its fullness, Paul paints a beautiful picture for us of what the relationship between husband and wife as compared to the relationship of Jesus and the church should be and what it should look like. And when it comes to submission inside of our marriages, we'll soon find that Paul clearly addresses that head on in the following verses. But if we're not careful especially us men, we'll be in such a hurry to get to verse 22 that we just skip right over verse 21. And we've all witnessed this. Some of us may have even said it. Maybe there's some people in the room that even believe it for yourself or it's been taught to you that that the husband is large and in charge and that the wife is supposed to sit down and shut up because what he says goes. Maybe you've heard that before. Maybe you've thought that yourself. Maybe you've heard or seen people, husbands, be like submit woman, it's my way or the highway. Maybe you've known a couple, you've, you've experienced a relationship like that. And here's the deal, men have long abused this idea of submission and they've elevated themselves above women. And In return, some women have decided that they simply don't need a man in their life if that's how it's going to be or that's how it's supposed to be. But neither one of these ideals is biblical. We need each other. You and I need each other. I can prove it. All the way back in Genesis, all the way at the beginning of time, and and, and as God is creating, this is what happened. He he would create, and and he would say, he would create something, and he would say, it's good. It's good and he would create something else and he would say it's good and then he created man and here's what happened in Genesis 2:18 the Lord God said it is not good for the man to be alone i will make a helper who is just right for him it's not good for man to be alone in Proverbs chapter 18 we read in verse 22 the man who finds a wife finds a treasure and he receives favor from the Lord. I thought I'd get a way bigger amen from all the wives in the room right there. See, I told you I was a treasure. That's, all, that's the Bible, sir. You can't argue with that. The man who finds a wife finds a treasure. And receives favor from the Lord. We were created by God to be in a relationship. God created marriage. It is not good for man to be alone. Because he won't know how to do anything if we leave him alone. My goodness, get that guy some help. God saw from the beginning that we would be completely and totally helpless without a woman by our side. And so he created a woman. He, he invented marriage. You need your spouse. And guess what? Your spouse needs you. In fact, those of you that are married in the room right now, turn to your spouse. Look them right in the eye and say, I need you. All right, now, now say, I need you. And now turn to your spouse again and look them right in the eye and say, and you need me too. You need me too. But the only way that we're going to be able to fulfill that need in our spouse's life is not through competition. It's not through jockeying for position. It is through mutual submission. It's not just the role of the wife to submit, nor is it solely the role of the husband either. In order for us to have the kind of marriage that fulfills and falls in line with what God communicates in his word, We must mutually submit to one another. That's why Paul starts out this passage. He says, and further submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Now, remember, this passage is a continuation of the first 20 verses of Ephesians chapter 5. And so that's why Paul starts it out with and further. He's saying, now, once you've done all of that, talking about getting your life in line and, 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 and exposing your life to the light of Jesus Christ, once you've got that all figured out, now, now you need to take this step is what he's saying. So ultimately, what happens is, is, is this now requires trust in order for us to live this way as individuals and as a married person. It requires trust. As we submit to God and then we submit to our spouse, what we are saying is, God, I trust that you have set up the biblical guidelines for marriage in a proper way. And you're saying to your spouse, and I trust that you are going to pursue God with your whole heart so that you can become the spouse that he has called you to be so that you can fulfill the need that I have for you that he has placed inside of me. In our marriages, we have a responsibility to each other. And Paul lays out those guidelines in the following verses. And first, he addresses wives. Starting in verse 22, he says, For wives, this means submit to your husbands as to the Lord. For a husband is the head of his wife as Christ is the head of the church. He is the savior of his body, the church. As the church submits to Christ, so you wives should submit to your husbands in most things. No, that's not what it says. So you wives should, should submit to your husbands in 99% of things. Nope, doesn't say that either. It says, so you wives should submit to your husbands in everything. Everything. And you know what? When you go back to the original language and you look that up in the Greek, you know what that word means? It means everything. <laughs> That's right. I've got a degree hanging on my wall that helped me come to that conclusion wives you've got to submit to your husbands that means follow his lead that means place yourself under his authority and it means that you are supposed to do that here's the kicker willingly not kicking and screaming you got to do it willingly. That's what it means. When you enter into this marriage relationship, if you want a marriage that honors God and is, and is in accordance with the principles of his word, that you submit to your husband willingly. So I've, I've got some questions that I want to ask today as we go through this passage. First, I, I know that this is directed to the wives, but the, this particular piece of the, of the scripture is directed to the wives. But, but I want to ask the, the, uh, the husband some questions this morning. Husbands, are you stepping into your role as the lead of your household, as the head of your household? Are you, are you assuming your role as the priest of your home? Or are you just simply deferring to your wife in all of the important matters? See, here, here's the deal, husbands. If, if you aren't leading well, your wife is going to be unable to submit well. So that means that you need to be modeling for her and for your children and for others that may be in your household. You need to be modeling for them what it looks like to pursue God. You need to make decisions that benefit your family relationally, emotionally, financially. Are you doing that or are you making decisions that are causing detriment? To your home because of how you're leading. Because see, unless you're leading in 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 the way that you're supposed to be, your wife will be unable to submit to you in the way that she is supposed to be. You've got to lead your home in a way. Get this that it becomes easy for your wife to submit to you. That's, husbands, how you should lead. If you want your wife to submit to you, it's not just putting the burden on her shoulders. There's a responsibility that you have, that we have in this as well, that we have to lead our homes well so that it becomes a no-brainer for our wives to be able to submit to us. But now, wives, in that submission, are you supporting your husband's leadership or are you constantly being a contrarian? Are you helping to build him up so that he has the courage to lead or are you tearing him down and reminding him of all of his past faults and mistakes? Old Tim and Brenda, Tim didn't do it that way. You guys remember Tim and Brenda from last week? Tim's not doing it that way. He's not doing it. That's not how it is in there. I can't, remember the last time he did this? Remember when you made that one decision and it like, no, that's not what it means to submit. That's not what it means to submit. See, it's it's hard to lead with someone second-guessing every decision that you make. So are you assuming the best about your husband? Are you assuming the best about him or are you constantly comparing him to someone else? You know, when you do that, you know, when, when, you, when you constantly push back and, and, and when, when you constantly compare and when you constantly bring up the, the old way and, and, and the, the, the past failures and the, and the mistakes and everything, you know what that's called? That's called being a nag, right? Nobody wants to be married to a nag. And guess what? The Bible talks about that. Oh, you didn't even know. Proverbs 27, 15 and 16 says this. It says, a nagging wife is like the dripping of a leaky roof in a rainstorm. Stopping her is like trying to stop the wind. It's like trying to grab olive oil with your hand. And I read that, and the insight that, that's coming out of that is simply this, that dealing with a nag, is, it's annoying and impossible. Like a leaky roof in a rainstorm. Man, I wish that would stop. That's driving me crazy. But in the middle of a rainstorm, there's nothing you can do about it. It's just annoying. You can't get up and fix the roof in the middle of the rainstorm. You just have to wait until it's over and it just goes and continues and it ruins everything. It floods the home. Or how many of you have ever tried to stop the wind? Or you've tried to grab hold of olive oil or grab hold of anything with olive oil on your hand. It just slips right through. It's impossible. It's annoying and impossible to deal with a nag in your life. So wives, give your husband the benefit of the doubt and get off of his case a little bit. That's not what submission means. Now, I'm not saying that that you can't speak your mind. I'm not saying that you can't share your ideas and your thoughts. But what I am saying is that submission means that, that we speak our mind in such a way so that it brings honor to our husband. And not tears him down in the process. Now, this is for the wives. But then after his charge to the wives, Paul then addresses husbands. And it's important to note that husbands in this passage seemingly carry the bulk of the responsibility here. While while many of us in wrongfully doing so have placed the onus on the wife in this, it's the husband that comes out with a greater amount of responsibility. And it's clear that Paul sees it this way. In verse 25, he says, or he writes, for husbands, this means love your wives, just as Christ loved the church. He gave up his life for her to make her holy and clean, washed by the cleansing of God's word. He did this to present her to himself as a glorious church without a spot or wrinkle or any other blemish. Instead, she will be holy and without fault. In the same way, husbands ought to love their wives as they love their own bodies. For a man who loves his wife actually shows love for himself. Verse 29, no one hates his own body, but feeds and cares for it, just as Christ cares for the church. And we are members of his body. So Paul says, wives, you need to submit to your husbands. And husbands, you submit to your wife by loving them in this way. You, you prioritize them. You put them first. And then, then he, he kind of talks about three main areas or three main ways that husbands are to submit to and prove their love to their wife by, by prioritizing them in these three areas. The first one, if you're taking notes, write this down. The first one, husbands, you are to pursue your wife You need to pursue her. And I'm not just talking about physically or in the bedroom. Like, that's important, and we're going to get to that next week, but, like, that's not the paramount thing when we're talking about pursuing our wives. Really pursue her. Like, do you remember back to when you were dating? You had to make an effort. There was intentionality and purpose. You know, you were trying to be all smooth and everything. You wanted to woo her. You wanted to win her over to your side. There were were date nights that were planned out, and there were were flowers and and cards and and text messages with sweet nothings. And some of you were long before text messages, you actually had to call somebody on the phone and talk to them. Some of you were like using the rotary phone, like... The kids in the room were like, a rotary phone? There might even be a few people in the room that were like, Sarah, connect me with my girlfriend, please. Andy Griffith, what, what? Has that carried over into your marriage? Are you just coming home from work expecting a hot meal to be on the table and the laundry to be folded? And then you sit down on the couch and turn on the game and that's it. And you just, you fall into that rut and you just repeat it over and over and over. Are you taking interest in the things that make your wife uniquely her? Are you pursuing her dreams and goals and aspirations along with her? Are you providing support as she reaches out to take hold of those things that God has placed in her heart? Are you taking time to truly listen to your wife? Not just listen to her so that she'll get done and hush, but like listen to her. This is what David Augsburger said. He said, being listened to is so close to being loved that the average person cannot tell the difference. Husbands, start to pursue your wife by today just listening to her. I guarantee you it'll make all the difference. I guarantee you it'll make all the difference and I guarantee that I'm going to totally catch the brunt of this message when I get home. You got to practice what you preach. (laughs) Wives, do you really want to be pursued? Like now that you're five or 15 or 25 years into marriage, have you just stopped trying? You know, like you used to get all fixed up and everything, and now it's just like an old pair of sweatpants and a holy T-shirt. Like, if, if you want your husband to pursue you, like make a little bit of an effort every now and again. You know, take a shower. <laughs> Shave your legs. <laughs> Cook his favorite meal. Talk to him about sports. Put the kids to bed early and slip into something a little more comfortable. Like your birthday suit. <laughs> like whatever it takes, put yourself out there. Give him something to pursue. All right? You've got to put yourself in that position. If you want to be pursued, then be pursuit worthy. It's give and take. We both have responsibility in this. So, husbands, you've got to pursue your wife. The second thing, husbands, you need to protect your wife. You need to protect your wife. Now, like, practically speaking, is your home a safe haven for your wife? And, like, what about, like, her car? Do you see to it that the oil gets changed when it's supposed to be, and that, like, her tires have good tread on them and and stuff like that, so when she's driving along the road that she's safe? Like, things practically like that. What about in, like, like, the way that you handle money? Like, are you putting in a position to, to protect her and to care for her in such a way? Right? Like, the practical ways. And, and, but beyond that, does, does your wife know that, that you've got her back? Does she know that you've got her back? Do the words that you say to your, to your wife, do they, do they instill life or do they, do they tear her down and bring her harm? What about the way you allow your children to speak to your wife? I know like, there will be times, and it's, it's a rarity in the Snap House, but there will be times when one of my children just loses their mind for five seconds <laughs> and says something to my wife. And I respond to them typically with something like this. Number one, that is your mother. Number two, that is my wife, and you are not going to talk to her that way. She was here before you, and therefore she takes precedent over you. So you need to back it up. When you need to turn it around and you need to get it figured out. Because that ain't going to fly in here. Does your wife know, like, does she see you going to bat for her in that way? What about in what you view on the internet, husbands? Is that protecting your wife? Oh, it just got real. What about in your, your interactions with the opposite sex? Is that creating protection for your wife and your marriage relationship? Have you put safeguards in place in and around and over your marriage to be sure that that relationship is protected above all else? The Hope Diamond in the Smithsonian Museum, it's a priceless gem. But equally impressive to that rock itself is the security system that surrounds it. The security system alone costs uh, over $500,000 and it took more than 600 man hours to design. That's just to create it, not even to, to like implement it and everything. And, and it features a, a number of sophisticated triggers that go off should the diamond be tampered with. See, the, the amount of protection around the diamond is a testament to its value. Husbands, are you building that kind of protection around your wife and around your marriage as a testament to its value? Because here's the thing. The way that you protect your wife, the way that you build that protection around your marriage, that is directly correlated to how much you value it. And so if you truly value that relationship with your spouse, if you truly value your marriage, then you're going to do more to build that infrastructure around it so that it's protected. Danny Silk said this, he said, if your love isn't producing things like safety, peace, and trust in your relationship, it probably shouldn't be called love. Wives or are, are, are husbands, are, 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 is your love producing safety and peace and trust in your relationship? Wives, on the, on the flip side of that, are you looking to your husband for protection? Does he know that you need him in this way? Have you told him that you feel safe in his presence or in his arms? Are you backing this up by the way you conduct yourself? Or are you living recklessly and placing your relationship with your spouse in a compromising position? Does the way you talk about your husband to your girlfriends show that you are submitted to his authority and protection in your relationship? Are you honoring him by being a good steward of the resources that God has blessed you with and giving him the ability to create that framework of protection around you and around your marriage? Because it's a give and take. It takes both of us. It's mutual submission. It's not just on one's shoulders or the other one. Husbands, you got to pursue your wife. You've got to protect your wife. Third thing, write this down. You need to provide for your wife. Husbands, are, are, are you doing the very best to make a living for your wife? Are you providing for her needs? And, and putting food on the table and a roof over your family's head is one thing, but there's more to it than just that. Like It's more than just financial provision. Like You can be a stay-at-home dad and still be the provider for your family? Are you providing for your wife emotionally? Does she know that she can depend on you? Are you putting uh, her needs before your own? Are you pitching in and helping out with the household chores? That is th- Things like that are what we do to come alongside of our spouse and that they see that it's not just on them, that we're putting in an effort in, and we're helping to provide and to create a home and a family in submission to one another. Wives, are you thankful for your husband's provision? Does he know? Like, have you ever stopped to tell him? I'm so thankful for the things that you provide to us. I'm so thankful for the way you provide for me. Are you grateful for what he provides? Or or whenever it comes through, are you always wishing for, asking for something else, something more, something different? Are you too difficult to provide for? Are your expectations set too high? Like, do you have like um, a a Lamborghini taste on a pinto budget? Like, is that how you're living? And that hangs over your husband's head as he's trying to provide and make a life for you. It's give and take. It's both of us. We're in this thing together. We've got to mutually submit and depend on each other. We need each other. And Paul finishes up Chapter 5 with these words, starting verse 31. As the scriptures say, a man leaves his father and mother and is joined to his wife, and the two are united into one. This is a great mystery, but it's an illustration of the way Christ and the church are one. So again I say, each man must love his wife as he loves himself, and a wife must respect her husband. First, Paul reminds us that the two have become one. And then he reiterates his previous instructions of mutual submission to each other. See, it's it's through mutual submission that Paul knew and that God knows. And why he shared this with us is because he, he knows that it's through mutual submission that that sets our marriages up to win. Both the husband and the wife receive what they need out of the relationship in this way. And isn't that what we want? For our marriage to win, right? So check this out. Because in a marriage, because the two have become one, that means that when the husband wins, the wife wins. And that means that when the wife wins, the husband wins. Because they're one. And that's the way that God set it up biblically. So it's, it's not you versus your spouse. We've looked at it so wrong for so long. It's not you versus your spouse jockeying for position to get what you want. No, it's not you versus your spouse. It's you and your spouse versus the world. It's not about fighting with your spouse to get your way. It's about fighting for your spouse so that your marriage can become all that God intended it to be because of your mutual submission to one another. So husbands, wives, if we'll begin to put these principles to work in our marriages and we'll get things in the proper place And in the proper order, we will be able to build the kind of marriage that is that of our dreams. But it starts with us first submitting to Jesus Christ by placing him first in our marriage. And then submitting to one another. And if we will do that, we'll have the marriage we've always hoped for. We'll have the marriage that we've always hoped for. And its foundation is on the word of Jesus Christ. If you need some extra help, and I know that this is like drinking from the hydrant sometimes. If, if you need some extra help in figuring out how to make this possible in your life, in your marriage relationship and everything, we've, we've put some resources together for you guys to check out. You can get to those resources by simply visiting thechristwalk.com slash marriage. thechristwalk.com slash marriage. And on there, there's some Bible reading plans for you and your spouse to, uh, to participate in together. There's some books Um, that will help you to grow and strengthen your marriage. There's some date night ideas, things that are even free dates that you don't even have to leave your house to do, all the way up to dates that are fancy and where you spend some money and everything. And then for those of you that have kids, there's also a registration link there where you can register for Parents Night Out. It's coming up on March 15th. And so it's in a very affordable way for you to have child care for three hours so that you can go out on the town or go and take a nap or whatever it is that you need to do to strengthen your marriage because we want to put our money where our mouth is because we believe at Christ's Walk that when marriages win, the church wins. And when the church wins, the community wins. So if our marriages are healthy, our church will be healthy. And if our church is healthy, then our community will be healthy. And so it's a win-win-win situation for everyone involved. So I'd encourage you take advantage of those resources. Get your kids to parents night out. If you can't afford the $5 per child, Doug Lane has volunteered. He's going to pay for everybody. <laughs> I'm totally kidding. Totally kidding. I just threw him under the bus. Get your kids to parents night out. Super affordable way to provide a date night for your family. Hey, I'm so so glad that you guys are here today and I'm looking forward to continuing this series next week um, as we talk about sex. So get here because it's going to be good. It's going to be good. All right.